I'll be your dream, I'll be your wish, I'll be your fantasy. I'll be your hope, I'll be your love, be everything that you need. I love you more with every breath, truly, madly, day play do. I will be strong, I will be faithful, cause I'm counting on a new beginning. A reason for living, a deeper meaning, yeah. I wanna stand with you on a mountain. I wish I was a soccer hooligan. God, that song just gets me going. You ever seen that video? All the boys in the pub just screaming it. Wish I was just a just a dirty old soccer hooligan some days, don't we all? <laughs> Episode 8, folks. Welcome to the program. Absolute honor to have you, as it always is. And this episode, you're stuck with me. Just myself and my mind, my dirty mind. Joking, mine's not dirty, it's clean as a whip. Um, Going to be a good episode today, folks. I'm recording on Sunday, September 6th. So hopefully when this will be released, it is just a couple hours from now. So another week rolls on, folks, and, and we're just, we're all flying, we're all buzzing, we're riding this wave that this show's creative. This Every listener, all of us, we're, we're together, we're bound, and we're literally, we're, we're rising up like a phoenix as one. It's literally a beautiful thing to see. It's even more beautiful to be a part of. So thank you all for joining me on this journey. That's what we'll call it. It's a journey. Life's a journey, and it's what you make it. Got a little bit of poor news today. Um, as you all know, I was um, recently abroad. Not abroad, but I was back in Calgary, my hometown. And um, I had the joy of uh, not having to rent a car. Thank you to my good friend Aaron Archer, who lent me his uh, beautiful Acura. I think it's an SE or something like that. It's an absolute beautiful car. He's driven since he was 16 years old. Holds an absolute dear part in my uh, childhood, that vehicle. And I was able to use that without having to spend 400 some bucks, you know, renting a car, doing all that. Because you got to have a car, I think, especially, you know, you go back home, you don't want to be stuck there with a little whip, and then you can't go to your friend's house, you can't go where you got to go, you know, you, you kind of feel like you're on house arrest, not to sound spoiled, but, you know, when you're used to having the freedom of a vehicle, you need to have it. So, skip the fee of rental, thanks to Aaron, give me this car, and I was all pumped up, saved a bunch of money. And then he calls me and he's like, dude, I got tough news, like, you... I just got three parking tickets in the mail. He's like, were you not, did you not, because in Calgary, you, you can't just like park anywhere, even in these like inner city neighborhoods. And I was staying at my sister's place and you got to like sign in online. They got this app and you put it in the license plate and then they register you because they have these cars, these little dickheads who fly around. They wear these hats. They kind of look like RCMP officers, their uniforms too. So it looks hilarious because they look like they're really official dudes, but they just dish out tickets. And now they don't even have to get out of their fucking cars. They just, in Calgary, they just fly around with these ones. They have cameras all over. It looks like the Google Earth streetcar, and it just finds you. And I literally was parked in front of my sister's house because, you know, a lot of those neighborhoods, you know, they have alleys. Everyone parks in their driveway or you park on the street. I mean, if you have a driveway, it's in the back. Usually, like, a lot of inner-city homes in Calgary, they don't have driveways, at the front at least. And then uh, most of them have a sidewalk right in front. So, like, you usually just park on, like, I always, when I grew up in the St. Andrews Heights region of Calgary, we didn't have a driveway. We'd park both family cars on the street on the si- in front of the sidewalk, in front of the house. That's what everyone did. But uh, to stop people from just randomly parking places, this is what they do. They ticket, and you got to have a permit or a guest shit. So, anyways, I didn't do that because I, I heard during COVID-19 that they weren't ticketing 
these regions with parking. And I don't know why I heard one piece of information I didn't look into. And here I am $120 later, $140. And I got three of them, man, three of them. And then to boot that in Calgary, Alberta, they have these fucking stupid cars that are unmarked and they can just sit on the side of the road and take pictures of you. Yeah. People from Alberta, that doesn't happen elsewhere. It doesn't happen in Ontario. I don't even know if it happens in any other provinces. I could be wrong, but it definitely doesn't happen in Ontario. So, you know, every time I go home, I get nailed. So this time, not only did I get three parking tickets, I got a speeding ticket for going 46 in a playground zone, which is, you know, that's speeding. I was going 46 in a 30, but God, it wasn't school. There's no school on. Kids aren't in. The kids aren't in. I want to talk to Nenshi. Hey, can we find out if Nenshi's listening to this podcast? Do you think, is Nenshi listening to the pod? Someone get a hold of him. I'm going to talk to him. This is bullshit. Bullshit. And then I, re- I try to, I Google it, and I read this article saying that speed fines are down. Um, and I'm like, no, can't be. And I look up, and it's in-person speed fines are down. They fell 46% from the same time period during, it was March through May was the survey, 5,000. 5,494 speeding tickets were administered in the Calgary region, which is a 46% decline from the same period in 2019. That's not that lot. That's not that lot. That's not that lot. That's not a lot. But they, they make so much money out of these absolute joke, just absolute money grab bullshit that they do with these, these hidden camera fines, the red light tickets. I once got a ticket in a snowstorm driving my mom's forerunner because the brakes on that certainly worked. You don't have to two foot stomp them like the Dakota sometimes. But I, I, I slid in the snow in my, I went right through a red light downtown late at night coming over from my sister's apartment one night during a Christmas break. But of course it was snowy. So I tried to stop for, you know, when you're in that awkward position where it goes yellow, but it's really awkward in Calgary because you know you're going to go through and get a flash in your rearview mirror and you know you got a ticket. So I two foot stomp on the brake in a snowstorm and I went right through the intersection. Luckily it was late at night, didn't have anyone near me. So I didn't come near anyone or hit anything, but get a, I think it was $390 I got for that. It was in the middle of a snowstorm. Like if, if a cop had been there and seen it, totally would have been justified. But no, they got these cameras going. It's bullshit and it's got to come to an end. And I want to talk to Nenshi. Anyone who doesn't know Nahid Nenshi. Mayor of Calgary, the 36th mayor of Calgary, Alberta. He's been in office since 2010. And I don't really know much about him because at that age when he got voted in, I didn't know anything about it. And now I haven't lived in Calgary since. So I know he was an absolute folk hero when he got voted in. But um, I don't know. I don't know what the thoughts are in him these days. But um, my thoughts aren't too high. You know, I'm getting uh, absolute money grubbed here, kind of trying to come home for a holiday. Tried to come home and stop COVID-19. Tried to work on a vaccine with Teresa, Teresa Tam, who's now telling us to wear masks while we have sex. That was her this week. Dr. Teresa Tam suggests that wearing a mask might be the key to sexual health in the COVID-19 area. I mean, that just seems sick to me, sick and twisted, but um, everyone was making fun of her for this, but she was only talking about new partners, folks, so don't worry there. Even though most of us are probably wearing bags on our heads because we're all disgusting. And maybe, you know what, maybe a mask isn't enough. Maybe, maybe you should put a bag on your head. But she still says, I laugh, there's these, like, these headlines now. Sex workers say they're at risk and have been left out of Canada's COVID-19 response. And I don't even want to click on it because I got to say that is the least surprising headline I've ever seen in my life. 
And that's the last we're going to talk about it. Last we're going to talk about it. Wild times, folks, in the world. And I feel like I'm just going to keep saying that because it's 2020 and the world's on fire. And that's just the way it's going to go. All right? We got um, Steve Nash getting a coaching job this week. And it's immediately labeled as white privilege. And my boy Stephen A. Smith is on the thing absolutely losing his mind. And I'm not a big basketball fan, and I don't understand maybe how it all works, but I was fired up, man. I, I saw Steve Nash, you know, Canadian boy. I used to love him when he played for the Suns. You know, I'm not a huge basketball guy, but it was pretty cool back in the day when he won two MVPs as a Canadian. I think they were back-to-back, -to -back too. So that, that was fun. That was fun. But now people are saying he's underqualified and stuff. I'm like, he's underqualified? That was an absolute nail in the, NH in the NHL, the NBA. And then apparently he has been working with some sort of player consultant role for the last five seasons with the Golden State Warriors. A, not a coaching position, but like I'm sure he's on the, co like the court working with these guys. And I mean, that's why apparently he built his relationship with Kevin Durant. And now he's over there in Brooklyn. And apparently him and Kyrie Irving like handpicked Steve Nash. And now everyone's going nuts saying that he's, he's leapfrogged some other people, some people that were within the organization. Apparently an uh, African-American man is the assistant coach and he's worked there for a while. He's been part of the you know, team coming over from New Jersey to Brooklyn and, and you know, developing it as they've gone through this build. But everyone's all up in arms because Steve Nash gets a job to a team that's supposed to be good this year, I guess, could potentially be title contenders, but it's deemed white privilege right off the bat. And it's just like, whoa! Everything, man, is everything is this now. Like, it's just, I, Stephen Smith, Colbert, whatever his name is, Stephen Colbert, Stephen Smith, he, he's sticking to it. He made a couple different claims about it. He doesn't like that people are uh, giving him flack for it. But I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's a little, come on. I just think if we're going to label, we're labeling everything now. And, and that, honestly, I think it's just like almost at this point, it's just like if you make a claim like that, you're going to get tons, it's going to get a tons of attention. Everyone's talking about it now. Like, when he gets the job, I go on Twitter, and the, the homepage says, um, is Steve Nash is hiring another example of white privilege? And I was like, whoa. God, I was just happy for him. He's Canadian. Now I'm, am I, now I'm found out I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm racist because I like Steve Nash. Am I? No, that's not what they're saying. But, you know, there's, it's just, I also find it very odd, though, in the NBA that there aren't more African-American coaches. Like, there's only, like, five, I think. And... I don't know. It's just odd. It's just very, very odd. I feel like, but that's just most sports right now too. Like the NFL is probably the same way, but I'm sure that's going to change soon and obviously for the good. But I mean, I don't think Steve Nash getting hired is, I just think that's, that's just wild to me to say. I just think we're like creating, we're just creating smoke at this point. Like everything's now an issue. I'm like basketball head coaches getting hired is now like a social issue. It's crazy. And I don't like it. I don't like it. But this is not a political podcast, folks, as you all know. So we're done with that. We're done with that. Um, I thought this episode would be a great opportunity to uh, literally talk about some hilarious things that have maybe backgrounded um, my existence and created me into being the person that I am today. And we were talking the other day, me and my buddies, um, we were saying, what's it been like with all the kids, you know, especially in this COVID madness? Like, what have they been getting up to? And the first thing I could think of in my head was everyone has been home like so often everyone has been home and everyone's been stuck inside or whatever definitely you know at their places probably a majority a, ma a majority is that even a word a majority amount 
a very a lot more. Let's fucking go here. God. And in that, all I could think about was Nicky Nicky Nine Doors, man. That was the game when I was a kid. Like, we weren't badass kids. Like, we, unfortunately, we weren't beauties over in, like, I hear stories in New Brunswick, kids piling up railroad ties and burning them is like a Halloween prank. Like, that's unreal. I wasn't that badass. We were badass in the Nicky Nicky Nine Door realm. And for those of you who don't know what that is, you know, you ring the doorbell and you run away and hide and watch the people come outside and see what's going on. And if you were a real baller, the point of the game was called Nicky Nicky Nine Door. And I believe the way we played it was always thought that you, if you ever could ring that door nine times if they're home without getting caught, like that's like beating, that's like beating the house. That's like incredible. That's like legendary stuff. And I don't think that happens very much anymore. Or I certainly don't feel like I don't see it happening. If I got my door, if I got Nicky Nicky Nine Door right now, I, I would be so happy because that's a game that's a time on its true to d tradition and it's a part of growing up. And I, honestly, I'm not proud to say might have been too big of a part of my my uh, upbringing. We played it so much. Like I think I want to say I started it young. Like I knew what it, like we, I want to say like first grade or something like that. We started doing it, and I used to be literally the biggest bitch in the neighborhood. Like, we do this with all the neighborhood kids, and I would be the one that would literally, like, someone would ring a doorbell, and I would sprint. I would sprint down the entire street. Like, I would hide, like, maybe, like, four, like, four, a block away. And, like, this guy could literally not even be home, and I wouldn't know because, for some reason, the adrenaline got me going so much. I loved it from a little kid. But I had some buddies who were ballsy, and we started doing it as we got older, and we, I always thought it was so fun. Like, we used to meet up with my buddies from different neighborhoods. Like, I used to live in St. Andrews Heights in Calgary, in northwest Calgary. If anyone knows where that is, it's kind of right by the Bow River. It's right by Crowchild Trail. It's between Crowchild Trail and the Foothills Hospital. It's right off University Drive. There's that huge toboggan hill. If you've ever seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know Calgary, I'm sorry that I'm explaining this. But it was, like, the perfect neighborhood in my eyes. Like, I grew up... It was like a neighborhood like that started in about the 1950s, so it was a lot of old homes, and it was a lot of people that had lived there for a while. So like when I grew up, most of the places had been people that had like lived there forever, and like you know they all knew their neighbors, and they were all really close. So it's kind of like a really small like town feel, but in the middle of Calgary. So it was a sweet neighborhood, but you know people knew who we were, and we started playing Nicky Nicky Nine Doors when we were a young age, and, like, people would be losing their mind at, like, just this group of idiots, and I was very lucky. I had, uh, th like, th I'd say, like, three, four, four, five, like, real good best friends growing up that all lived in the same neighborhood, and they were all about a year older than me, and um, so we all went to the same schools, all did the same shit, and Nicky Nicky Nine Doors was our jam, man. Like, this was, our, this was, like, where, honestly, like, we did it, I could, hundreds of times, and, like, then we started doing it when we got older in like high school, just to reminisce on the times that we used to do it when we were young. And we had some hilarious ones. So we used to have this fella who lived a uh, street over from me and we grew up in the neighborhood and he had uh, a son that was my age, a daughter who was a couple years younger. And at the time they had like a toddler, kid must've been like two or three. And we used to call this guy's father, he was nuts. We used to call him the Polish guy. I don't remember his name. He was an absolute beauty, but he was nuts. He was nuts. And then I think they were Polish. Obviously, they had to have been. And, like, I don't know if that sounds bad, but that's what we called him when we were young. We called him the Polish guy. And his son's name was Pierre. He was a beauty. We played community soccer together. And we knew the family well, but we knew how crazy this guy was because he was nuts. And 
one time we were playing community soccer and this guy's father, who we called the Polish guy, who I literally can't remember his name, he like got in a fist fight with another parent on another team about community soccer, which is like not competitive really. It's like co-ed, like probably like the lowest level of soccer you could ever play. We just played for fun. But this guy's getting in fist fights with his toddler, his two-year-old girl toddler. He was thrown with the other hand. Like, this guy's fearless, man. Like, this guy takes shit seriously. I played soccer for multiple years with his son, and this guy would be, like, the one, like, if he scored to win a game, he'd be, like, chirping the other parents on the other side, being like, whoa, yeah, that's it, baby. Like, he was nuts. He was awesome. So we knew how awesome he was. So we want, one day when we got older, we were like, man, we got to ring this guy's doorbell. It'll be absolutely hysterical. Like, he'll go berserk. So we did. I have the legitimate fear of God in me because I think this guy will probably try to kill us. And if he found out who we were, he would come to the door the next day at my house and probably try and kill me in front of my parents. So this was a big deal. So we do it. The first time we did it, I remember I actually ran. I ran for miles. And the group of fellas I was with was a fellow named Quinn LeBlanc. Shouldn't say his last name. I would say Quinn and Drew. <laughs> already said his last name. <laughs> Quinn and Drew, who were a pair of brothers. Drew was older, and he was old enough to drive. And we were, I was probably like 12 at the time. Got to be like 12 or 13. And, and we did it, and we thought we didn't see him. We were hiding like down the road. We didn't see him come out. But we had to leave, so it was getting late at night. And my buddy had driven that night, Drew, had driven Quinn. They lived in the neighborhood over. So we were just saying goodbye to them as they are getting in their car. And their car was a lime green Volkswagen Beetle. I can still see it to this day, like very distinct looking vehicle. And we're at the end of the street. And as we're loading the car saying goodbye, we look up the street and just like not even like 50 yards away from us is the Polish guy walking up the middle of the road right towards us. And I literally look at my boys, I'm like, oh my God, he's coming for us. And what do we do? Instead of just playing it cool, we just all hop in the car, look like directly at him, just get in the car and floor it. And as he sees us like start to get in the car and like run away, he realizes, oh, these are the dickheads who just rang my doorbell. And he goes flying back to his house and gets in his car. And we can see him getting into his car. And I'm literally yelling at Drew, I'm in the back seat. I'm like, go, drive, 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 drive. So he starts flying. And as we were going, it's, it's snowy. We're, we're just about to merge out onto uh, 13th Avenue, which lets you leave St. Andrews Heights, my neighborhood. And Right as we're about to turn right, this car comes from the other side of the street and all we see is two pairs of headlights and they come flying across the road and I thought we were going to die. I was screaming, Lord have you, hallelujah, I think at the moment. I was like, ah! This guy came in his car, somehow made it around the block before we made it even out the juncture of like a quarter of a block on the backside and he cut us off, literally tried to T-bone us to stop us because he found out we rang his doorbell. So what we do is I, we, we rip back the other way and we start driving it back around the block the way that he just came at us. But then my buddy Drew, for some reason, turns back up, takes the next left, which takes us back onto the street where this guy lives. And for some reason, he drives it about half a block away from his, this house we just rang his doorbell on. And we're only about a block away from where the guy literally just got in almost in a crash site with us, tried to T-bone us. And what does Drew do? Drew parks the car and cuts the lights thinking that we're just going to park in the neighborhood and we're going to like play it cool and just hide in the seats and let them drive by us, forgetting that we're driving a lime green Volkswagen bug. But I still remember it was like the middle of winter, probably February this time, so it was snowy and the streets were bad. But we parked this car and 
we're waiting to see if this guy's going to drive around and keep looking for us. And this Polish guy, he used to drive an old Volvo station wagon. It was like silver, not beaten up, but it was like a very distinct looking station wagon. And sure enough, I'm, we're losing our minds. We're all hiding. We're like look, put, poking our eyes over the dashboard, like trying to see if anyone's down the street. And I see these headlights coming and they're coming by us and we're just like, be quiet, be quiet. And sure enough, it's Buddy driving the Volvo station wagon slowly by us, surveying the scene, looking to find the culprits of who rang the damn doorbell. And literally, again, Drew, not playing it cool at all behind the wheel, but our only option to drive because I'm 12 at the time and he's 16. The Volvo's not even an arm's length from us. It's not even by us yet. What does Drew do? Drew gets the seat come flying up. He raises up like the Manchurian candidate. He puts the keys in ignition and gets that thing flying and just starts flooring it. So the guy behind us just sees the car come flying on, starts going, realizes it's the same one, and he takes and chase after us. Does the three-point turn from Fast and the Furious 28 that I've never even seen before. All of a sudden, he like is right in our tail. My buddy flies out. Takes a turn onto you. Uh, it was so he goes right through the neighborhood. Takes a turn onto Crowchild Trail. Next thing you know, we're flying down a highway in Calgary, and this guy's in hot pursuit of us. My friend turns down into Parkdale, which is just down the hill, close to the Bow River, and the next neighborhood over, basically from mine. And he pulls into the neighborhood, takes a couple turns, and he ditches us. He says, "Get out of the car. We gotta, we gotta lose this guy." So me and my friend Evan, who were still at the house, we live on the same street. We, we're running back to our neighborhood and there's a big hill. If anyone's seen this in Calgary, Parkdale's like down at the bottom of the river valley and St. Andrews Heights is just like up this hill, which is like on the edge of like the valley that you can see in Calgary. And it's on top of that. So we started running up the valley, like the hillside so that we can get up to our neighborhood. But we turn around halfway and we can see this like high speed, like chase going on from above because you can get on the hill and look at the neighborhood below. And we see this guy like filing the, the lines like flying around looking for our friends. My friends get out of there without them seeing, but we can just see this guy like doing laps around the neighborhood looking for the car. And we just sprinted back into our, uh, to our house. And literally I went home and I told my mom right away because I told her what happened because I thought that he knew what happened, who we were. He was, I was like, mom, he's going to come to the house tomorrow and he's going to kill us all. He's going to kill us all. And I just wanted to say that I am the reason we're all going to be killed. And I, my mom's like laughing at me because she knows the guy. And my mom agrees. She's like, if he finds out it's you, he might come to the house and he might punch you right in the face. So that was the incident one, we'll call it. It scarred my friend Drew so bad that I don't think he's ever played the game since. And honestly, it's something that if you even bring up the Polish man to him, he, he won't even talk to you. He said when he got home, he couldn't even sleep. He said for weeks, he thought he was like waking up like, is the Polish guy still looking out for him? And rumor has it, part of him still looks for Drew every day. Every time he seems a lime green bug, he runs it off the fucking road and torches it and kills them looking for Drew. And one day he'll find Drew. Sorry, that was weird. But so this became like a legend. And this, like I said, this happened when I was probably 12. And we talked about it all the time. Like it was hilarious. Like every time I went by the, this guy's house, like I literally like cracked up laughing because like we got in a high speed chase because of a Nikki Nikki Nine Door incident. So it was fucking hilarious. And we love telling stories of Nikki Nikki Nine Door. That was our most memorable at the time. And we were telling stories about it always. And we got a big group once. Like we all, I was about to graduate high school. And, um, for some reason, we being a bunch of sentimental, soft as butter bitches, 
we were telling like old stories growing up and we got all sentimental over our Nikki Nikki Nindor days and we decided that we needed one last fucking hoo-ha and I was like I'm about to graduate high school like I'm officially we're not gonna be kids anymore guys so we gotta have one last fucking shebang for old times sakes we gotta ring all the all the doorbells one last time so we got a huge group of us together I want to say there was like there had to have been like literally eight or nine of us there was a big group it was like different groups of our hockey buddies who had other buddies come over, but there was a, there was a solid group of us who were involved through the historic memories that we had playing the game. And um, who's calling me right now? Not, not during the show, folks. Yeah, this is a professional show. We don't get calls in the middle of it. That'd be fucking bullshit if we did. So I apologize for that. But we have one last shebang. So we meet up in my neighborhood. We're with a bunch of dudes and we just started ringing doorbells. Like, like we just started going at it, you know, having a good time, having a laugh. And then, you know, we're like, boys, we got to do the Polish guy's house. Like this guy, we haven't even stepped on his property in years because of the folk legend he became after the car chase. So we're like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And better yet, I told one of the guys who wasn't, who didn't really know the scenario and the severity of the tension between us and the Polish man to ring the doorbell first so that, you know, he had no, he had no prior worries. So he goes up there and he rings it and this place is going nuts. You know, I can just see him like, he's probably losing it. I'm losing it because I'm getting a little jumpy, you know, getting a little excited to be getting the, we're back, baby. Adrenaline's flowing. So every neighborhood, well, in the inner city in Calgary has an alley. So we rang the doorbell and we all ran and we came back around the backyard and we're going, now we're in the, now we're in the alley and we're like, we can see the house from the back. Like there's lights on. We're like, assuming this guy's going nuts. And like running around looking for us, but we're in the back and my other idiot friend just decides, oh man, I'm gonna knock on the back door. And I'm losing it because I'm like, I'm like laughing. I'm like, this is crazy. Like we're all gonna, we're all gonna, we're all gonna die. So my buddy hops over the fence and he knocks on the back door and then they have a crazy Jack Russell and I see the back door just get open and they just let him loose. And I can hear the Jack Russell running around the back, <laughs> trying to get my buddy and he gets out. But then, I didn't know that as we did the back door, my other friend came again and rang the front door. So that's three out of nine doorbells rang for Nicky Nicky Nine Doors. I thought we were going to level up on this legendary house. But turns out, I think we got it like three or four more times. So probably for like a total of six rings altogether. So you can imagine anyone would be losing their fucking minds, especially this group of absolute hoodlums who are way too old to be playing Nicky Nicky Nine Door to begin with. Like I was like literally 17 at the time. And so we all start running away because he's losing it. We got six in and we had to leave because I'm pretty sure he like got in his car or something. But then that was the, that was the worst part of it. We were in, in this car and it, now he, 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 no, sorry, we're not in the car. He's in his car and he's chasing us now. So now we continue through the neighborhood and are like playing Nicky Nicky Nando in other homes. But we keep like, he, all of a sudden his Volvo would come flying around the corner and we'd all have to run away again. We'd all ah, split up. So we got split up one of these times we're ringing out, we're all together and we're about to ring a doorbell and we got split up. So a big group of us are down on, up near that toboggan hill that St. Andrews Heights is legendary for. This is on the other side of the neighborhood close to University Drive. And we started walking down the toboggan hill because we kept seeing this guy's car coming around. And as we're walking down the toboggan hill, there's an alleyway that are for the houses that back onto uh, this like park area. And there's an alley, but like it's, it's 
you can drive through it. So this guy's driving down the alley now in his Volvo station wagon, and I can see him, like, looking for us. And we're all, like, laying on the toboggan hill and, like, hoping that he just goes by and thinks that we're all, like, part of the ground. And anyways, he slowly goes by, and we just we get up and we keep going, we keep going. And then we meet up with another group of our buddies, and they say that there's another car chasing them. And so we're, and they said it was a, like a, I don't know, they're probably full of shit. But anyway, so now we're on the lookout for two cars as we're cutting around the neighborhood. And a couple guys started having to go home. You know, it was kind of getting late. And um, we were standing at the schoolyard, which is in St. Andrews Heights. And we had just gone on an absolute onslaught. I mean, we probably rang like 20 different doorbells. Like a couple of them we did like multiple times. Like we got the Polish guy, like I said, real good. He's still in the neighborhood hunting for us. And... So we're on red alert because all these cars apparently have been looking out for us, but especially the Volvo. And as I'm standing there, only the group's probably dwindled down to about six of us um, standing at the edge of the schoolyard. And I see a car start poking its head out of the street below. And I'm thinking it's the Volvo, so I'm on high alert. And I'm, all my friends are facing me. I'm the only one facing down the road. And I see this car come out. And all of a sudden, it pulls out a little further, and I see that it's not the Volvo. It actually just says Calgary Police on the side of it, so it's a cop car. And the second that this car started turning up towards us, I don't know why. For some reason, I'm not a criminal, but my immediate reaction was, I got to book it. So without even saying anything to my boys, I just started sprinting. I started sprinting as fast as I could across the schoolyard, and they're all following me. They all, they're all losing. They're like, what's going on? They look back, and they see the cop car, who now sees not me, just me, he sees all of us fucking idiots start running. So what does he do? He throws on the fucking sirens and the lights, and he's coming around the schoolyard, literally going Mach 1 million, and he's flying. I can, I've never heard of, you know when a police car really opens up, like they sound mean, and this thing was flying, and still here, going around the park, going, and I, and I literally at a loss for words at how quick this thing made it around the schoolyard to where I am now running trying to go around the other side of the school. But what I didn't know was when I started running and I kept booking it around the school, my buddies started following me, but then they realized that this cop was basically going to make its way around and go right to where we were running to. No one says anything to old Harry. They all just cut back and start running back to the where we first were when we saw the car. And they all get lost into an alley. And what do I do? I just keep running around alone. So I'm going alone now. I realize that I see this now as I realize they're not coming with me. I see the car coming around this last stretch and it's about to be level with me on the same side of the schoolyard as me. So I'm like panicking. So I run around to the back of the schoolyard. I'm all alone. And there was like this like... I'll say like a garden shed back near the uh, one of the entrances of the school in the back parking lot. And it was like right up against the wall. There was probably like two feet of space back there. And there was this like garden shelf. And so I came flying back there and I hid. I laid behind this shelf that was in this gap that was looking straight through to the parking lot. And it could see the alleyway where like I'm assuming that this cop car is going to try to like drive through looking for me and sure enough I get down there and I'm laying and I see this cop car just go flying by just looks like a blur right in front of me and as it goes by I'm like wow I actually can't believe how good of a hiding place this was like I literally just hid from the police I am unbelievable next thing you know my body is standing up and it starts running back the way that I just came. And, but in my head, I'm like, why am I leaving this unbelievable hiding space? Like, I feel like I literally just evaded the police. 
Why am I on the move now? This is the worst idea I could have. Stop moving. Stop moving. But I didn't stop moving. I kept running. And for some reason, I'm running the back to where I just came from, thinking that the cop car went the other way and maybe they'd get lost looking for everyone else. And I'm all alone, so I don't know what to do. I have no one to like run my thoughts by. So I start running back the way I come because I know the car went the other way. I'm not even thinking anything of it. As I come around the corner, I see this man at the front of the school running through like there's like I don't know they're not trees but there's like a couple trees and he's by them and I think for a second maybe it's one of my buddies so I keep running and then I realize uh oh this is a it was a cop so they one of the cops clearly got out and I didn't see this is why I should have stayed where I was so I come running back and this I meet this guy on foot and like it, he's running around with like what I think at the time is a gun he's running around like holding his weapon or whatever I, I thought it was a gun turns out it wasn't it was a taser but he's flying around in the woods and I come around and I and what do I do for some reason I just hit the brakes and he hears me hit the brakes and he sees me going and he's like stop stop and I'm sprinting I'm like no and I'm like going I'm trying now I'm on, now I'm on a foot chase with a policeman he's chasing me and I'm going I'm like I'm not a convict I'm not a convict so I stop and turn around and he starts losing it he's like get on the ground get on the ground, and I don't know what to do, I turn around, and I just have my hands, I get my side, I'm like, sorry, officer, this is, uh, I, I didn't know what to do, I'm sorry, I, was just, I just don't know why I ran, and he's just like, get on the ground, he's, I'm like, not listening, and then all of a sudden, I go onto my knees, and he's like, on your stomach, on your stomach, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm like, still on my knees for some reason, and then he has the taser, and he has it right by my face, and it starts lighting up, and I'm like, oh man, like, okay, so I went down, and I went down on my stomach, and he, start, he radios into his partner. He's like, yeah, we got one of them over, got one of them over. And I can hear it like the click of the radio. like, duh, duh, duh. And I laugh so hard and he hears his buddy be like, all right, be right there, over. And so as this has happened with me and I got absolutely caught, my buddies ran back to where we came from and they went through an alley and they hid in a garbage chute. And as the other cop went around the alley where I would have seen him, he continued through to this next alley where my buddies ran and I, he had the spotlight going and my buddies just hid in a, one of my neighbor's garbage, garbage chutes and they never got caught. And then they made their way down to where my buddy had parked his car in the neighborhood a couple streets over and not a care in the world for where Harrison is. They just fucking take off. They just left me, just abandoned me. And, and I, one of my buddies still said to this day when, when we were talking about it, he was like, oh, Harrison knows his neighborhood. He'll, he'll be home fine. Anyway, so they take off. But now I'm, I get absolutely caught. The other partner comes back, and as he pulls up the cop car, I can still remember it. It was like literally the like I was trying not to laugh out loud. Like the guy, like the cops were like probably like young 30s. Like they looked young. Like they looked like cool cops. And the guy gets out, and he has like his like little nightstick in his head, and he's just like he's like playing with it, like you know, like they're making the noise, like the pop, pop. And he's just smiling as he walks up towards me, and you can hear like the jingle of his keys. I can still hear it today. And then he goes, now, what the fuck were you doing? And I tell him, I was like, well, I was playing Nicky Nicky Nine Doors and we were running away and, and, and we, <laughs> we saw a cop car. I don't know why. I, my instinct was to run. And he's like, where are your buddies? And I was like, I, I don't know any of them, officer. I've never seen them in my life. And he's like, shut the fuck up. Where are your friends? He's like, this is going to go one of two ways. He's like, it's going to be a real big problem for you or you call your buddies out here, down here and I want to have a talk with you all. So I whip out my cell phone. I call my buddies, one of them answers, and he's like, hey, I'm like, boys, like, they got me, cops got me, like, you guys got to come back, and then he originally says no, he's like, no, and he hangs up, and I'm like, what, 
I call him back right away. The cops are both just staring at me. I'm like, boys, like, I'm not gonna lie. Like he says, like, if you guys all come back, like he just wants to talk to us or I'm getting left with a big hefty ticket. And I convinced them and he's like, okay, we're coming back. So moments later, like felt like seven years. I'm just standing there with these two cops. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. It's just so awkward. Like I'm like 17, like never been in trouble in my life with the law. Now I'm standing here with two police officers. I feel like they're going to take me to prison and start shanking me. But my friends pull up. You can see them park way across the schoolyard. And solemnly, my six friends just no emotion, just scurry across the, like the, the playground walking towards us. And then the cop just gives us an absolute verbal lashing. Didn't give any of us tickets. We're very lucky. I mean, I'm sure we're pretty lucky in certain places. I'm sure it wouldn't have been taken that uh, lightly. But apparently, like, we had, like, six different people called the cops on us in the neighborhood that night. So they got called to come check it out. And what do I do? The first cop I see, I just blew our cover for everyone. So, yeah, and I almost got tasered in the mouth. So that was that. That was a little bit of a, you know, basically the craziest run-in with the law I've ever had. So not that crazy at all, but, you know, it was a pretty hilarious story at the time. And uh, I was talking to a buddy, and I thought maybe it'd be something to share in the program. So I hope you enjoyed that. Um, there's a couple more. Like, I could, I could honestly make, like, a whole podcast series of just Nikki Nikki Nindor experiences, but I cut to the chase with some of the best ones right there. Um, we ended up not even getting a ticket, but both cops were going on saying, like, if someone rings my doorbell like that, I'm coming out with a bat. So they were just warning us to watch out for crazies. I mean, we lived in a pretty good neighborhood. I wasn't too worried about anyone but the Polish man maybe turned me into sausage or something. But he said one house, like, it was like a girl was home alone, and we rang it twice, and she, like, locked herself in the bathroom and was calling the police. So, I mean, now looking back at it, is it scary? It would have been scary in that instance, so I feel bad, but... I mean, I always knew it was a pretty fucking innocent game, Nicky Nicky Nine Doors. Like, once, though, I will say that my last Nicky Nicky Nine Door story, which I think was absolutely hysterical, one time we found a Christmas tree, and it was on the side of the road, and we took it to these guys we knew. We used to ring their doorbell all the time, and his older brother used to chase us every now and then because he knew who we were. But one time we snuck in there, and we grabbed an old Christmas tree, and we leaned it up against their door, and their door was like, there was like one of those ones that barely had windows. You couldn't really see out. So like you just kind of had to like open the door to see what was going on out there. So we leaned it up against the door <laughs> and we rang it and ran away. Like I still remember like hiding in the bush and seeing the guy like open the door and get an absolute mouthful of Christmas tree. I was screaming. I think I, I, think I cried for an hour and a half. I, was, I scream laughed my way home. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So it's good memories. I mean, I hope kids are still out there playing that game. That game shouldn't die. And I made a vouch to myself that if anyone ever rings my doorbell I will chase them in honor of the game's absolute essence okay so I condone that game and I hope people are playing it and if there's doorbells and you got to ring them and if, and if you're getting your doorbell rung you got to chase them it's part of it you you un, un, unknowingly have now become part of the game so what can I say that's that um enough of though okay enough I don't even was that a good story I fucking think it was good hopefully maybe we'll, maybe we'll have like a we'll have a sideshow just be called Nicky Nicky Nine Door Pod or something it'll be a fucking great probably a hit there's probably like a whole like online community about this and there's probably forums about it now, you know, but uh, that's a game that's been around forever. I mean, I'm sure all our parents played it too. If, and if you call it Ding Dong Ditch, shut the fuck up. It's not called Ding Dong Ditch. It's called Nicky Nicky Nine Doors. I don't want to hear anything else, okay? But moving on here, um, one of the greatest sporting spectacles 
which happen annually and is now happening as we speak, is the Tour de France. The Tour de France, which doesn't get enough attention, you know. I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a cycling fan, a bit of an enthusiast, but, you know, they don't really talk about it ever since Lance Armstrong kind of dropped out of the way. I mean, he won seven in a row. I think it was from like 1999 or something on. He won seven Tour de France's in a row, which is absolutely crazy. But then he got stripped of every one of them because he was blood doping. God damn it, Lance. Fuck. So the States have only won like three Tour de France's, I think, in history. And I don't think a Canadian's ever won it. But the Tour de France, for those of you who don't know, is like the most well-known road biking race in the world. It is a 22-day event. It has 21 stages, so I think they get one rest day. And they cover 34... This year, it's 3,484 kilometers is the entire thing. So 21 stages. I think stages range from, range from like 140 kilometers to 180. I might not be exact with that, but they're around that. And they have different ones. They have ones that are plains. They have ones that go through the mountains. They have ones that go through the hills. And it's pretty crazy. So they get, I believe, one or one day off, maybe two of this through this whole thing. And they, it's like six hours a day they're riding. And <clears throat> doesn't get a lot of, you know, not a really crazy, a lot of coverage over in North America for this, especially with, you know, no real prominent North American athletes in it. I mean, Canada had, I think his name was Ryder Hedgedal. He came fifth or fourth a couple of years ago. Uh, but he's now retired, and I don't think there's anyone Canadian-wise that's really in the game. But the Tour de France is actually, I think it, it's so fascinating to me. Like, it started in 1903, so you can imagine the bikes they would have been, like, riding. But when they started in 1903, um, it was 1,500 miles, so that's got to be close to, that's got I don't know how long that is. That's got to be pretty far. That's got to be as, almost, how fucking far is that? I hate how they're different, but... 1500 miles and they only did six stages so like every stage would have been like 400 kilometers an hour and apparently they literally had to start them like sometimes like before the sun was even up in order to get the max amount of light like that is insane and imagine the bikes they would have been riding like their asses must have fallen off they must have had like steel poles three inches into their asses like that would have been nuts and also how would they have been really, like, the road conditions? What the fuck would they have been like? What kind of, like, the, the roads were probably better, honestly, in 1903 when they didn't have a million cars flying down them. But it was started, this fellow named Henri Desgranger. I'm saying that wrong. I can't say French names for shit. But he came up with the crazy idea. He made the Tour de France was, like, a promotion for a magazine or a newspaper. It was called La Auto. And uh, it was, like, a failing publication, and they wanted to get some fucking shit going for it he made the tour de france and it ended up uh they're on the 107th running of it right now it stopped during both the world wars and the spanish flu pandemic back in the day so i think it missed a couple years obviously but it's on the 107th running pretty cool pretty cool and um there's obviously like <clears throat> there's a winner and you can like you don't have to win every like you win stages like every stage there's a winner but like there's people that have like not even ever won a stage in a whole Tour de France that end up going on and becoming champions, multiple of them. So it's kind of interesting. Like there's a cumulative leader and that's the guy that wears the yellow Jersey. If you ever see the guy wearing the yellow Jersey in the Tour de France, that's the guy who is, um, if you're wearing it, you're the overall race leader. And, uh, that's for the total time since the start of the tour. There's also, which I just found out is there's a green Jersey, which started getting awarded in 1953 and the green Jersey, it's a, it's just for points and you get points for being one of the first riders over the line on each stage. It's usually won by a sprinter and 
I don't get that though. I, 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 I don't know what are classified as sprints, but like the guy who wears the green jersey, his name is Peter Sagan right now. He's won it like seven times. It's like an all-time lead. And like, I guess this guy's just a god. Like if you go on Instagram, this guy's like 1.7 million followers. Like cycling's a huge sport in the world, just not really big in North America. But this is, so yeah, the green jersey's for sprinters. Um, there's also one, there's a guy that wears a, a, it's like white with red polka dots. And that's for the riders who, uh, win like the climbs. There's like certain, I don't know how they, they section it off, but like this, the guy who has the red, the red polka dot Jersey, he's the guy that wins all the, all the big climbs first one up all the big Hills. And then there's the white Jersey and that's given to the guy who comes in first. That's under 25 years old. So that's like the young category. The branch for that is done at 25. The guy who won the Tour de France last year was actually only 22. So pretty crazy. I mean, I, th I think it's a pretty wild sport. Um, <clears throat> some of the downhills these guys are doing, they get up to like 70 fucking miles an hour. Like it's, it's crazy shit. And I just got into biking kind of because I used to be really into mountain biking when I lived out west, but it's hard to do that in Ontario and then hockey took over. But I started road biking. I just bought one this spring because I needed a way to get in shape, especially with all the gyms closed. And I had bought a nice commuter the year before and I started riding it a lot and I started really liking it. And I was like, man, like I kind of want to get more into this. And I ended up looking up some, doing some research and I bought like an entry level gravel bike. Gravel bike is a new kind of road bike where it's made to go on off-road and road. So like dirt roads, you know, you could take it on some, you know, not too technical single track cross country trails and stuff. And I love it, man. I fucking love it. I fly. I have the worst body type for, um, you know, riding like this type of ride. Like if it's windy, like all I do is catch wind. Feels like I'm dragging a fucking piano around. But uh, it's a good sport, good sport, good way to get out, you know, stay in shape, throw the headphones in and this year, I'm a big Tour de France guy, so maybe next episode, I, don't, I think it goes on, it's still going, it's going on for a while, like, they're only on, like, the eighth stage, so, eighth or ninth, and uh, I'll be keeping you up to date with that in the program, but um, I think we had a good episode, um, you know, I wanted to uh, really build up more of my childhood to you, the viewer, because that's what the show's about, you know, you gotta know who is talking to you, and I think that is the best way for us to grow our relationship. I've uh, been surprised by some of the people who've reached out and told me that they're checking out the show. So I really appreciate it. Uh, pass it along, please. Please give it a review. Uh, give it a, a like, some stars. Like that's how you got, like you actually got to download the fucking things. Like I can't like download it, but make sure you delete it off after because you know, next thing you know, podcasts are the worst man for taking up all your storage. You won't realize and all of a sudden you have six gigs of pods in your shit so make sure you're downloading you're subscribing but you know make sure you're staying on top of it and clearing out your episodes too so you don't bung up your phone but i hate being this guy i hate talking like this but i do need your reviews i need your i need you to go give me five stars that's how a show like this gets to take off and uh need i need some help from you all i really appreciate you all turning in tuning in sorry um I want to keep pumping out episodes and I really want to make this show uh, work. I want this show to be fun. This has uh, been a dream of mine for a very long time and it was kind of something that I delayed. I wanted to do this about two years ago, but I just kept thinking that it wasn't the right time and then I realized there's never going to be a right time. So here I am. Um, I want to be able to get the flexibility and learn how to be a very good host when I'm just talking to myself. So thank you for joining me through these early episodes where we're doing this. It's been so fucking fun. And this project honestly couldn't have come at a better time. You know, lots of uncertainty. The world's a crazy place. You don't need to hear that from me. We hear that from everyone. But um, 
I don't know what to expect here. I'm eagerly, I'm optimistic. I'm looking to play hockey again one more season. And everything North America-wise is pushed back till December. And there's no real clear-cut start date. So fingers crossed that uh, we're all going to be able to do our part to shrink this virus. But I'm getting worried, man. I'm getting worried that if a season does start, that it, it might not it might not finish. Like I'm getting, I don't know, I, I'm optimistic and, I, and I'm, look, I'm always thinking positive. But in terms of sports like that, like minor league sports, junior hockey, like I'm, I'm nervous and it sucks because... You know, for me at least, I'm out. I've done my junior. I've done my, uh, you know, my university hockey, and you know, it, it sucks that it happened to me when I'm trying to make a break into pro hockey. All this madness, this like first ever, you know, cancellations of seasons and whatnot. But I feel bad for the boys who are in, uh, you know, big years like midget and junior. And, you know, you only get so many years of those, and and I and I feel for these guys, and I hope that the seasons can happen. But I'm really, I'm really worried that. Uh, a lot of these teams and in, in, um, events won't be able to happen without fans, though. So I'm making a push again. If I'm, if you were any local sports around you, they're going to need your support so badly when all this, like when things get going. If if there's any ability for there to be capacity in stands, like please fill them up. These teams are going to need it badly, and support them in any way you can, so that that maybe these teams can possibly, you know, find a way to make. Um, it worked without fans. I don't want kids, you know, losing years of sport. That's not what we want. You see in Ontario today, they announced that minor hockey is going to go, but they're going to have to stay a stick length from stick length from one another. They're going to have to get dressed at home, wear masks everywhere, but when they immediately put their helmet on, they're going to have to, uh, no face-offs. Uh, there'll be no parents allowed to watch, which is probably the only good thing of it. Um, but it just, they're making, I think it's only going to be three on three and four on four to help promote social distancing. But like, this doesn't sound like hockey. Like what the fuck are we doing? Like what, what is that? What is that going to do, man? Like that's just a bunch of jumping through hoops to act like we're doing something like that's fucking bullshit. Like let them play or don't play. Like, I don't get this, but like, I almost feel like at this point it's getting so frustrating where we don't know what's going on. There's no vaccine. People are getting sick. A lot of people aren't. It's 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 real. It's out there. But no one talks about how like why can't no one talks about how to make your immune system better. No one talks about you know could we be sleeping more? Could what things could we be doing to make ourselves healthier and help stop the spread of viruses? Everything is now. How are we going to cancel this? How are we going to fund this? Um, how are we going to ensure that people are staying away from each other? Like, no, kids are not going to be social distancing. You see all the kids are back to school now, like the pictures of high schools and the hallways, like no one's, no one's social distancing. And that's, it's not going to happen for kids. Like we got, I wish people would just start talking about different precautions. I'm just so sick of it. And we're not going into that in the show folks. We're not, I won't let it happen, but I'm optimistic that again, hopefully we can figure this out so we can get some sports back not just major ones to watch, you know, get some ones back. So other, you know, all these kids can go play and do what they love and, you know, experience those vital important years that come through sport and, you know, friendships made and bullshit. Okay. So help the boys out, get them all fucking going boys and girls. We need everyone playing their sports and there's no excuse. All right. Thank you for episode eight. I hope you enjoyed it. I think uh, we're going to have maybe, I think kind of a different episode next week. So it'll be fun. It's going to be fun. You're going to get something different from this show every time, folks. So you hold on to your caps. Hold on to your caps, folks. It's getting crazy. Welcome to episode eight, folks. Thank you again. This is The Project.